afraid of. Our Lord Jesus walks before us and with us and beside us as we follow him. Just thinking about this evening, I had a group of boys traveling with me back to church and I asked them, I said, what are, what are the signs of someone who is sick and unhealthy? And we just kind of talked about it in the car and just kind of what, what, how do you know someone is sick? Or how do you know if you're sick? What are the signs of sickness? So we were kind of going down the list of just some, some basic things, a runny nose, a sore throat, maybe hoarse, um, you know, sneezing, uh, maybe your eyes get puffy, and uh, yeah, one of them said their ears get red, all right, a fever, we have a headache, um, you know, maybe you get grumpy, all right, maybe that's you all the time, all right? you're just always sick, you're grumpy, you get grumpy, uh, maybe some swelling, some joints start to swell, you know, Something, uh, you start getting aches and a headache. Um, maybe, maybe it's interesting in the last few years with COVID, there are some signs that we never thought. You know, losing your taste and smell. For some people, that was the only sign that they had that they were sick and didn't know it. Or maybe it came a few days later. That was the first sign of the sickness. Um, fatigue. Uh, there, are, there are other ways. Maybe you know when you're getting sick. Maybe your wife knows you're getting sick before you even know it. Um, with kids, you can tell some things that get um, sick. You know, just a slight fever. Maybe a rash that would come up and then a fever. Or, um, or they're, they're crying a little bit more than normal, especially with babies. Moms have good clues and instincts about what's going on, especially with the teeth that come in and stomach troubles and, and a little extra crying and a little extra grumpy. There are, there are signs for someone who is unhealthy, who is sick, maybe looking pale. Um, and it can spread easily. Certain sicknesses um, are contagious. And um, we feel a little more uncomfortable when we're around. Some people have even told me in the last year, probably more so than in the past, that uh, when they've got a cough or they know they're not contagious, it's been a few weeks later, there's no fever. However, there's this lingering cough, there's this lingering you know, sign of, of sinuses and congestion, and yet they have a, a fear sometimes of going out because somebody may look at them as, um, as being contagious or afraid that you're going to get something or give someone to something or being blamed for something, all kinds of things. And especially in this time, uh, in the last three years, where COVID heightened everything about sicknesses. Well, let me ask you, what are the signs of an unhealthy church? What are the signs of a church that is sick? Or the symptoms of a church that is becoming sick, un unhealthy? Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about some philosophy and direction of the local church and what are, why we do what we do. And we've been talking a little bit sporadically on Sunday nights throughout this year um, about uh, 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 why we do what we do and what we believe. Who are we? 
And um, I, th- I think over the next few weeks, as we just kind of look about what is, what is a healthy church and what is an unhealthy church, and what are some signs? I think you have probably, in your experience, of those of you that have been in different churches, have recognized uh, when there are struggles, when a church may be sick. A church is a body. And Paul compares it in the book of Corinthians to a body and um, different parts of a body. And we are a growing organism. That's what a body is, a living thing. It's growing. And there can be sicknesses that can creep in and, and sin that can, that can creep in. We have some, some examples of some churches in the New Testament that sickness, sin, was creeping in. And Paul had to address it, or the apostles had to address it. We, had, we have seven churches in the book of Revelation of, of some things that the Lord himself, through John, had to send letters to the leader of that church for some things that, that concerned the Lord, some sickness that was creeping in, some unhealthy habits, some unhealthy signs that were creeping in. That eventually, if they did not address, they would die. The church itself, the candle that they would have in that community and in that, uh, in that area would be snuffed out. And if we were to look at a church in the New Testament that had some sickness that needed to be dealt with on a regular basis, what church would you think that, would needed, that, that is addressed in, um, in, in, a, in a fashion this way that had a messed up congregation in the New Testament. What church would you think if we were going to call? Uh, Corinth. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. Some signs of an unhealthy church. Now interesting that in an unhealthy church, that does not mean that all of the believers in that church are... Um, are in this condition or experiencing these symptoms. However, remember the church is a body. The church is one. And if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer because we're a part. And if one member is not doing its part, then there is a whole. The ear, the hand, the eye. You know, the eye can't be the ear. The ear can't be the eye. And, and Paul uses that as an example to teach some lessons about the workings of the local church, the local congregation. And more than any other church in the New Testament, it seems that this church had the most symptoms of sickness that needed to be addressed. This is a church that had some problems. Paul wrote four epistles to the church at Corinth. Paul spent uh, almost a year, I believe, maybe even over a year in Corinth as he planted the church and taught the church as well. Maybe outside of Ephesus, Paul spent more time at Corinth than he did in any of the other locations. They had some good leadership at Corinth. Apollos, Paul, um, Priscilla and Aquila. So there there were some good biblical leaders that came through this church at Corinth as well, and yet Paul saw fit to write four epistles. That we know of these four epistles recorded in First and Second Corinthians, as Paul had, um, 
uh, indicates the letters he had written. However, of those four, only two of them were inspired and are in our canon today, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And in 1st Corinthians chapter 1, this whole book is dealing with issues, issues in this church that were unhealthy signs. There, there was immorality in the church. We'll address this at a different time. But in, um, uh, in, in chapters 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul will address the issue of fornication and immorality and sexual sin that needed to be addressed. These were some symptoms that the church was unhealthy. In chapter 7, he deals with some issues about marriage and singleness. There were some problems about marriage and divorce and and remarriage. And Paul had to deal with that. And singleness within. And how to address some of those, those issues. We talked about that. I think we passed through 1 Corinthians 7. Not too long ago. On the issue of marriage. In chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. Paul addresses some issues. Regarding Christian liberty in the church. There were some problems with some people. Who over this issue of eating meat. Offered to idols. Some were offended. Some were saying, well, I have the right to. And, and others were saying, oh, you better not eat that. That offends my conscience. And so Paul has to deal with this church and this, this issue of Christian liberty. How do you deal with the weaker brother? How do you deal with the, with the stronger brethren? And how do you work through these issues of Christian liberty? Obviously, this church had some problems in that area. In, uh, in the next, in chapter 11... Paul addressed the issue of regarding the Lord's table. There had been some abuse in the church at Corinth over the Lord's Supper. And Paul had to correct some theology, and he had to correct some practice, and he had to correct them on the love feast and the, and the fellowship dinners that were mixing with, with the Lord's table and the drunkenness and the parties. And some of them were physically sick because they were spiritually sick when they came to the table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It goes on, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Paul had to deal with the issue of spiritual gifts. Because within the church at Corinth, there was some bickering and fighting over who was more important with their spiritual gifts. And there was some abuse that was happening in the, in the congregation. Some were standing up and beginning to speak in tongues. And, and there was this disorder within the church of the spiritual gifts. Some were lording their gifts over another person. There was already abuse in the issue of the sign gifts. Already by Paul's addressing of this book in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14. And he's got to set some ground rules for this church because it's chaos, disorder. In chapter 15, the Apostle Paul has to deal with some issues regarding the resurrection and the gospel. There was some misunderstanding about the future resurrection and the resurrection of Christ and what was going to happen in, in, uh, with some eschatology. He had, there were some doctrinal disagreements and some issues and Paul had to come in. He had already taught this over and over again. He had spent months teaching them this. And now he's got to readdress this and reassure this because there was some confusion regarding the gospel. So going back to the basics in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's a long chapter. And then 1 Corinthians 16 Paul deals with the error regarding money and finances. There were some issues within the church regarding finances and wealth and money. And some people were being stingy and had to, Paul had to address some issues and paying your, your pastor and, 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 and the leadership and how do you use your funds. 
So from chapter 1 to chapter 16, Paul is addressing one unhealthy sign after another in this church. Warning them and admonishing them. And then 2 Corinthians comes along and, um, and, and he's encouraged by their, um, their, under, their, their, their listening and heeding to the warning of the first epistle. And then he addresses some, some criticism and defense of himself and his ministry in 2 Corinthians. But the very first problem, the very first sign of an unhealthy church that he addresses is in chapter 1 after he gives the introduction. And it is a sign of an unhealthy church. A sign that a church is sick and needs some attention is the issue of division, splits, and fightings. Interesting, of all of the things that Paul will deal with in 1 Corinthians, marriage, divorce, fornication, spiritual gifts, the Lord's table, eschatology, doctrine of the gospel and the resurrection. And the first thing out the gate that Paul wants to correct and instruct and give them a dose of medicine is the issue of unity. In the church. And he comes right out in it. In 1 Corinthians. Verse, uh, chapter 1. In verse 10. Look down. Now I beg of you. After nine verses of introduction. And some um, admonition. He says. Now I beseech you. I beg you brothers. A term of fellowship. He's talking to brethren here. Believers. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, decisions. For it has been declared or recorded unto me or reported unto me of you, my brothers, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions, strife, fightings among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, or every one has this saying, I am of a Paul, I am of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Oh yeah, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I actually thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I had been baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not, in other words, Paul is saying it's not about who you're baptized by. It's about the gospel. He's not demeaning. Well, well maybe he's, he's setting a priority. He's not saying baptism doesn't matter. He's addressing an issue of the superiority by groups who were saying they were baptized by, by some named person. But the preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. In other words... Um, he didn't come to them with, you know, 
his PhD in front of his name. He didn't come to him with these, with these intellectual lectures that he had to, to that. In fact, he, he came to them different. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And Paul will continue on talking about uh, some of this addressing, some of this division and divisiveness. Have you ever heard the phrase, you've been fighting a cold? Right? I've heard the phrase at times, I'm battling cancer. It's interesting that we would use that terminology, battling and fighting sicknesses in such a way. Why do we do that? Well, you know, scientifically, it's because you have healthy cells and you have an immune system. And when a foreign um, disease... Or, um, or, or sickness comes into your body to attack your body, such as cancer, it begins to eat away, your body actually is designed by God to fight off that. And, and the stronger immune system that you have, actually there is a battle that is going on within your body. God designed it that way. That's why cancer is such a terrible disease because it actually eats away and fights at the good cells in your body um, to fight away and, and trying to, to rid the body of that sickness. Well, when we come to an unhealthy church, we have to fight, we have to contend, and we have to deal with issues that sometimes come up that are sicknesses that we need to talk through and we need to encourage and admonish one another. That's why Paul says in, the, in verse 10, I beseech you, I beg you, brothers. He, he urges, the word that he used here is the, is the same word to come alongside. John will use it in the Gospel of John, uh, Perikletos, for the Holy Spirit who will come along and be your comforter. It's this word in the Greek here that is used, to come alongside and to be a comfort to you, to help you through this, because you're sick. Right, and to deal with this, this issue, to admonish you and to comfort you. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, in other words, as we heard this morning, you go out, as you go out, and this church itself, it is bearing the face of Jesus in this community. We are a representation of the body of Christ right here in this, this community. And, and, and this body in this area, and we are representing Christ. And when um, sickness creeps into the church, it affects the name of Jesus in this community. When you come into a church and you find division and fightings and contention in such a way that Paul is going to address here in these verses, then Paul is saying... You are not bearing the name. You are actually disgracing the name of Christ. Because an unbeliever, when they walk in, they're not going to understand all the morality. They're not going to understand why we do what we do and don't do. But when they come in and they, they see the, the body of Christ reflecting the face of Christ and the practice of Christ and living out unity and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church, then they turn around and they say, there's something different about that, the, that group of people and I want what they have. 
But when they walk into a community and they see the same thing that happens at the, at the, uh, you know, the local political gathering downtown or, uh, or the, the, the local Walmart or, or uh, some parking lot out there and they see people fussing and fighting and bickering and unkindness and, and walking all over one another, then they're going to walk out and say, I don't want to go to that place. That doesn't have anything that is any different than, than what I experienced back at my home and in my community. And so Paul is pleading with the name of, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you carry his name. And he says here, he gives the admonition in, in this verse, in verse 10, he says that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So what we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is we find a group of believers who are fighting, divided, and not speaking the same thing. What does, that, does that mean that, that you know, they all um, have the same you know, accent? Uh, that they're all walking around saying the same thing? You ever go to a, a Chick-fil-A and, uh, and they, all the employees, what do they say at the end? What was that? Um, what's the, the same saying? Sterling, do you remember? Huh? Yeah, my pleasure. There you go. That's right. That's one of those phrases where they just kind of say the same thing over and over and over again. You know, that's, that's going to be polite, to, you know, to, to have, a, have a polite slogan. But is that, what, is that what Jesus is, or is that what Paul's saying here in the church? That we all go out and have this same type of, of greeting that we give one another. And we have these, you know, these same lingos and these, say, you know, these, these sayings that we say. No, what, what he's saying is here, he's talking about us being in agreement with, with what we have committed to. Being of the same mind in thinking, in practice, in belief, in doctrine. That there is a set of doctrine that this group has agreed upon. This passage is not talking about church unity in the sense of you churches in Huntsville need to learn to get along. You know, this church over on this street and that church over on this street and this church in South Huntsville and East Huntsville and it just, it just would be good if the body of Christ, the universal church, if you want to use it that way, would just get along. Now, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. He will address some of those types of things later in other epistles, maybe potentially in the book of Ephesians about unity. However, what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians is he's talking about within the four walls of this congregation, this body that is called together under this leadership, that is manifesting the gifts and the presence of the Spirit in this congregation that has been in membership with one another. There needs to be unity and agreement. That's why we have a statement of faith. That's why we have a set of bylaws and doctrines that we have agreed upon. That's why church members who they come in or those who want to come in into church membership read through that and agree to abide by that. Because that's important. We have to be of the same mind. Because if it's not in the area of doctrine then there's going to be division and divisiveness among that. 
Some have even come down in this verse when it talks about being of the same mind and in the same judgment, that a nuance of this, this word means actually opinion. Being of the same opinion. I've had to think through that a little bit this week because we like our own opinions, don't we? And when it comes down to it, I understand that we are all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all come about different things. And I don't think, think Paul is necessarily picking out the, you know, the, the issues of, you know, what, well, what do you believe about the angels in Genesis 6? You know, well, what do you hold about this? And he will address some, some liberty issues later on in the book. However, there are a core set of doctrines, there are a core set of beliefs that we must all agree upon that there are non-negotiable that make up who we are. And even when it comes to matters of opinion and disagreements, there ought to be unity within that. And Paul addresses this on several other occasions within the, the church as uh, other churches. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In fact, turn over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 12, and we beg of you, brothers, similar format, to know them which labor among you. In other words, that's your leadership. Know those who labor and work among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. All right? That's, that's your leadership. That's your pastoral staff. That's your, uh, those who are who your Sunday school teachers and, and those in leadership of the church that come alongside to admonish and counsel. Verse 13. To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace. Among yourselves. You hear the call for unity? But notice what he says in verse 14. And we exhort you brethren. Warn them who are what? Unruly. Those who won't get in line. You know. The, the pastor and the leadership of the church. Has presented something. And we've come in an agreement of it. But there's one person. Who just is stubborn. And they're saying, I'm just not going to follow. I'm just not going to get in line. I've got my own opinion on thing, And it's just going to. And then all of a sudden, a faction begins to start off in the corner and in the hallway. And, and then there's whispers. And then there's criticism. And then there's strife. Then more people are added to a little group. And then there's text. And then there's emails. And sooner or later... There's all of a sudden this divisiveness within the church over the decisions and the direction of the body of Christ. And this is a person who is unruly. And Paul says, you better warn that person. Because that's a sign that if you don't deal with it and, and admonish it and warn, then it's going to creep in and a sickness is going to come into the church. And other issues and other signs begin to show. So in 1 Corinthians, you have here verse 12, he says, I say that every one of you that saith, in verse 11, he has been reported from Chloe. Chloe obviously was some kind of leadership, in, uh, well, the, um, some kind of prominent person in the church that had a relationship with Paul. Was she, was, was, the, was the church meeting in her home? And this is the report. Was she just a godly saint? 
who was there? Did she come and meet Paul? Or did she seem, it seems to be, which of the house, so it seems to be maybe there were some, some servants or some, uh, some, some members of her house that went and saw Paul and gave him a report about some things that was going on. And this is the report, that there is contention among you, strife among, among your church. That there be no divisions or splits. And so what's happening is there was a group, uh, groups uh, that were being divided around different leaders or different names of people. Cliques that were being formed and they were using their words to stir up the fightings. In other words, here is what they are saying. That's what he says in the verse here. This is their, each group has their saying. I am of a Paul. I am of uh, Cephas. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. That's, that's what they come around and, and they say and they, they claim within this congregation. They have their motto for each faction. Literally, they were going around saying in the church, I am. Now, it's interesting that these four names are given. Paul would have been the first pastor of the church at Corinth. I mean, he's the church planter, right? I mean, he planted the church. He would be considered the first pastor. So there seems to be a group within the church who were so loyal to Paul that when Paul moved on, they continued to, to tell everybody else that they were of Paul. Apollos is mentioned here. Did you know that Apollos became the pastor of the church at Corinth after Paul? So you have Pastor Paul... Now you have Pastor Apollos. And so the first two names on the list are the first pastor and the second pastor. <laughs> then you have probably, some have indicated, some Jews from Jerusalem who, who liked Peter because Cephas was one of the original twelve. And they had come from probably Jerusalem to Corinth as these Christians would travel. And Peter had this issue to oftentimes meander a little bit towards the Jews. That would rub Paul the wrong way. And so that probably brought a group of Jewish Christians, believers, who maybe were a little uncomfortable with Paul's message to the Gentiles and him preaching and, and, and talking about not being circumcised and, and following some of the feast days. And, and so there just seemed to be a group within the church. But they liked Peter because Peter still did some of that. All right. And then you always have the pious religious group that says, I don't follow anybody but Jesus. Now that seems at first to say, well, that's if any of the groups I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in that group. And it could be potentially that this group was associating themselves back to Christ. But the issue here that Paul is addressing is that they were a faction too. They thought they were better than everyone else because... They followed Jesus. I mentioned this morning some people who are home churchers. This would be the group of people who say, I don't need no church. I don't need no pastor. I don't need no group. We can just follow Jesus all by ourselves with our Bible. All right, this, this group because they think they don't need anybody else. Okay, so Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Jesus. And this, these groups that are around uh, the church who are bringing up 
some, some strife and divisiveness, and each one didn't like the other. In other words, one house was against another house. Interesting, Jesus said this. Let me read a little bit so we can be finished here. Mark 3 and verse 25. And when they came to him and accused him of being of Beelzebub and a devil, Jesus said this, can a house divided against itself stand? Little history, Abraham Lincoln used this verse in his debates against Stephen Douglas in 1858. He used it to speak of division in the Senate over the issue of slavery. Here is what Lincoln said. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently. Half slave, half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect that it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind rests, shall rest in belief that it is the course of the ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become lawful in all of the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. What is Lincoln saying here? He's saying, someone's going to win. Because a house divided will not stand. This is eventually going to move to one side or the other. In other words, Lincoln was projecting that there was going to be a fight. There was going to be a civil war. And that's exactly what happened. Because there was a divisiveness and a disagreement among the states. His statement proved that a government cannot work if they do not work together. Now, I'm going to say this. A church will be an unhealthy church if it does not work together. Divisions come in many different ways. They can come in doctrine. They can come in programs. They can come in personalities. They can come through people. They can come through plans. They can come through passions or what you believe hard about. They can come through property. They can come through the pulpit. They can come from thoughts. They can come from speech, etc. What has happened is that when things don't go someone's way, they are so passionate about it that if they don't respond in the right way, then there becomes division. It starts out with complaining and gossips and arguments and attitudes and then all out war. Division is not just someone leaving or taking a group to another place and starting another church. Division is an attitude of contention and disagreement that leads to a spirit of cliques and separations that are going on in factions that eventually leads in separate directions. And when a church is divided and goes in separate directions with two different attitudes, two different thoughts, two different ways, then it is a sign that that church is starting to be unhealthy. And God will not bless and grow. Can I mention just something from a couple weeks ago? I think sometimes this is one of the reasons why some of the church growth churches, the megatype churches and the, the more... Um, the more CEO model, business model type churches have resorted to a model of leadership of elder rule. Can you just follow me, just the thinking here? Which means that it, 
the pastor and the elders or a group of elders make all of the decisions and the people just follow along. Because within that model, it is easier to in some way have unity in some way. When you have a congregational rule and servant leadership, it's, a, it's more difficult because a lot more people have strong opinions and directions and plans and philosophies. And, and when you begin to have the whole make the input, it requires all to be unified, even in their differences. So what are the key of division and divisiveness and contention. Can I just mention a few practical things here this evening and we'll close. First of all, always be spirit-filled. This means don't allow your flesh to get a hold of you in a moment of disagreement. Satan has caused more trouble in churches by good saints who lose control. And when you are spirit-filled, you will not say something or do something that is rash, immature, or blow up, and then regret. That's why we spent so much this summer on each one of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Because they are a key to a healthy church when the church lives out these fruit in the lives. Can I tell you, these are some things that you need to learn in your marriage your home with your children the spirit filled spirit controlled life the believer is is a way that when things become divisive or your spirit wells up in you kindness tenderness long suffering gentleness meekness goodness faith temperance all of those things begin to take control a soft answer turns away wrath. Number two, learn to be to respectfully share your views with the person who can help with no strings attached. In other words, go if you have a disagreement or you have an issue or there's something that, that is different from your opinion, go to the person or the people who can help you with it. Instead of spreading it around to other people, that's gossip. Those who know the best interests of the church and the leadership of the church, who are praying for direction of the church, those are the type of people you go to in the right spirit and respectfully share your views. You know, since I've been here, I have received in my box three anonymous letters. I truly don't know who they are. Maybe that person is in here. Maybe they're not. When I receive an anonymous letter of a criticism or something that someone doesn't like in the church, most of the time my mentors and my leadership say, throw it away. Okay? If you actually have some struggles or some opinions or some disagreements, there's a right way and a right spirit to do it. Learn to be respectful. Learn to disagree agreeably. And I've told our deacons this and our staff this on a regular occasion. Sometimes we have a differences of opinion. That's fine. 
Sometimes you may get your way in your direction. Sometimes maybe not. Sometimes you, you don't get your way. Learn to be fine with the agreement together even if you don't necessarily agree. See the wisdom of God's leading. Christ is the head of this church. Not me, not the deacons, not the pastoral staff. Christ. And when spirit-filled believers are seeking the mind of Christ and the leadership is seeking and praying for the mind of Christ and the leadership has brought out and prayed and talked through and hashed out lots of different directions and, and things and, and prayer and, and things like that. The decisions learn to disagree agreeably. You know, in Acts chapter 15, there is a contention between Paul and Barnabas. And those two men ended up in a separation. Which one was right? I don't know. I believe Barnabas was focused on the man. John Mark. I believe Paul was focused on the ministry. Both of them had their points of view. Both of them um, had, had some good understanding. But they had to come to a place where they recognized we need to just agree that we're going a different direction now and uh, not make this an issue. And let's just agree. Number, number um, four, learn to focus on the major things and don't let minor things become major. Many times divisions in churches are caused because a minor thing like carpet, a position of a furniture. I, I got into, I walked into an argument in the lobby of one of my churches over the position of the chairs in the lobby. And I got in there and I walked away from that and I thought, why? I just dealt with some people who were struggling in their marriage and I thought, and, and we're fussing over where a chair is going to be put? <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes some, some things. Flowers, decorations, even some minor issues of, of disagreement over some, some text and position. Interesting that Jesus would point out amongst the Pharisees their constant reiteration of the washing of hands. <laughs> I mean, here, here they take and make mountains out of molehills. Always use the word of God and pray about the issue first. Often when you do, God gives the right answers and the right, right way to approach it. Ephesians 5, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Father, I pray as we close tonight. Lord, thank you for many in our church who seek unity and peace. Uh, Lord, help us to learn in uh, some of these practical things and uh, to be able to spot some, some signs of, of divisiveness that can even come in in a staff, can come in uh, an event or a program or in a Sunday school class or, um, Lord, in the children's ministry or in the school or that can begin to creep into a person's home. Um, and, uh, Lord, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. We all feel it. 
And Lord, I pray that um, as if, if those signs are seen, then we would uh, properly diagnose it and deal with those things that are, that are within. Uh, Lord, as we come in the days ahead, seeing the, what a healthy church is and the growing church and, and what you are calling for, that doesn't mean that there's an absence of problems. There's going to be problems. But how we deal with those things and being spirit-filled is so very important in living out the spirit-filled life. Bless us as we go. Thank you for this church and this body. And uh, Lord, help us in, to, to unite going forward. Thank you for those who have been saved and those who have joined the church. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we continue to serve Christ in this place, would, would the community see the face of Jesus? Would our children see the face of Jesus? Would our students in our school see the face of Jesus uh, on our staff and in our teachers and uh, amongst our believers? And I, I believe they do. That's why there are people who are coming, because the word of God is proclaimed. And, and people are, are concerned about others. But would you help us all as we would be careful in the days ahead in Jesus' name that we pray.